0: Miller, this is art class and it's about to begin please take your seat
1: welcome to the north shore podcast a podcast about the lovely cities of the north shore featuring topics like local news sports music people food and history my name is pete and i'm joined my co-host north shore history legend arthur miller we all live in the north shore before we start our class we have a sponsor for the show Dakota Insurance Group, they've got your back. Why? Because that's what friends are for. Dakota Insurance handles all your residential and commercial insurance needs. Get a quote now at dakotainsurancegroup.com. Okay, one of the goals of the podcast is for our listeners to learn just a little bit more about the North Shore. Well, who better to teach us about the North Shore history than Lake Forest and North Shore history legend, Arthur Miller. Okay, everyone, take your seats, fold your hands on top of the desk. Our class is about to begin Hey, Art, how you been?
0: I'm just fine. I've been great. How are you?
1: Oh, I'm uh, uh, pins and needles waiting for part two of the history of the North Shore, right?
0: (laughs) Well, the Sheridan Road, yeah. Sheridan Sheridan, Road uh, is kind of a connector since the 1890s of the North Shore, in addition to the railroad that was there earlier.
1: And where do we leave off on part one, Art, so we can connect the dots?
0: We we'd gone from uh, up to Winnetka, uh, from Chicago up to Winnetka, but not not past the lower part of Winnetka, southern part, uh, where it starts to go up the hill to the bluffs. Uh, the character of the North Shore geographically changes um, just before Tower Road um, by having a a bluff uh, at the lake shore, at the lakefront, that kind of breaks off there and creates the the bluff tops that uh, and the rolling character of the terrain as we go further north. So that's where I'm going to start with that next second part of the character. Hope to get up through the uh, north part of Winnetka, Glencoe, and Highland Park, and maybe into Fort Sheridan uh, Highwood if we get that far. But we'll see how I do. <laughs> we'll take able- what we can get. All right, let's see how we do on those on those parts. Okay, I'm going to start with that North Winnetka part. There's a as you go up the hill, there's a beautiful uh, limestone church, an Episcopal Church, Christ Church, and that's where the bluffs begin at that place. Now, Christ Church, I guess, is now related to another church. that's over by the main square, also in, in Highland Park. It's one congregation now. That certainly is an anchoring church for um that part of the north shore as you go down by you go to tower road which leads you to hubbard woods if you go straight west from on tower road you get to hubbard woods on the right there's kind of a a beach area on a bluff you go down the bluff for the winnetka people and um then there is uh you go go further along And on the right, you come to something very remarkable. It's kind of more like things you would run into up further in Lake Forest and Lake Bluff. It's the architect Samuel Marx's Epstein estate. Um, It's a beautiful, uh, classic stone building with a big wall around it. Uh, There was also a garden that was done by a Lake Forest woman, Kate Brewster, who was a leader in the Garden Club of America, uh, big writer. She wrote a book in 1924. The Epstein estate was, I think, right around 1930, somewhere in there. So it's really a high point of what you see um, in the very northern part of Winnetka. And everybody should drive really slowly past it, going north. Now, the next interesting thing really is an articulation of the unique north upper north shore um, geographical system. Um, You actually on Sheridan Road, go down one ravine toward the east, toward the bottom of the ravine where the lake intersects, uh, and the bluff has opened up uh, so that you can get to the lake. And then it goes up again, winds around, up north, back up to the top of the bluff. So you see the ravine system. That's one of the most interesting parts of the trip for a lot of people. The north sides of the ravine, what you see on the south of the south or north sides of the ravine, have a different plant material character because they never get any direct sunlight. It's the north sides, not the south sides, but the north sides get the sun. And the south sides don't get the sun. So the south sides I'm talking about, they are more like further north. They have boreal plants like you run into in Door County or up in northern Michigan, that sort of thing, where, where pine trees flourish, um, different kinds of birch and stuff like that. So you see a real variety of plant material there. Also, as that road went through, and as people build estates above the roadway uh, in those ravines, you'll see some uh, walls of kind of natural looking limestone. This whole character of stratified limestone being artificially put in or restored, quote unquote, as Jens Jensen, the landscape architect called it. This was to recreate kind of more upper North Shore, like the plants, character of um, of the, the, the Niagara Escarpment that you see up in Door County particularly Uh, along in that area. So you'll see these interesting artificially created Niagara Escarpment-like structures as you go along there. And it it contributes to the sort of um, uh, northern, not so Illinois-like character to that part. But that's, you should go slowly along that road, both to not hit anybody, because I have run into car wrecks along there. And... um, But also just to take in what this unusual landscape character, I mean, one of the things about Chicago, it is this boringly flat. You don't have much change of grade. When you get up to this part, you actually start to have what attracted people up here, why they would go so far from Chicago. They wanted interesting terrain. And the the early people uh, built their estates there to have interesting terrain. Oh, I forgot to mention, back by that church at the top of the hill one of the very first settlers in the 1880s to build a fancy house was henry damaris lloyd and before that Christchurch was built his tall brick house two and a half story tall brick house was had a view down to the city because it was up so high it could see all the way to the city you can't it can't do it anymore but the house is still there it's a it's an important landmark um, if you look to the left before you get to Tower Road, as you're up there, you'll see it. Uh, sorry about that. So as you get to the top of those ravines, you're in Glencoe and you are running into um, a new series of kinds of, of houses. You see a great variety of houses going through Glencoe. It represents different, every different period. Um, of the, from the last 100 years at least, probably a little earlier than that. Um, there are some probably turn of the 19th to 20th century places that have been modernized. There are some 20s houses. There's a lot of building in in between these older estates that is representing modernist and postmodernist design from the 50s and 60s in Southern Glencoe. You'll see modern buildings which, um, More than you'll see more farther up in Lake Forest and Lake Bluff. See more modernism along there. That partly reflects uh, the different character of the communities as they changed. Glencoe and Highland Park began to have by certainly the nineteen thirties, forties, fifties, large Jewish populations, and they still remain largely, but not not entirely, but a lot of Jewish uh, people in these areas, and they're not so tied to the. Anglophilic, francophile uh, architectural historic styles that flourished in the 20s and 30s. They're more, they were, the modernism was great for that. But then, as after that period, you then had a lot of interest in uh, postmodern houses. And the most modern um, post Reagan tax cut era has had a lot of uh, stone, um, fancy kind of French looking. Uh, chateaus built on the sites of former ranch style houses along Sheridan Road. So it's interesting, really fascinating to see the diversity of the architecture. As you get farther along, uh, after you pass that light at Park Avenue, um, which is on a more, uh, kind of more about a tableland situation, um, and after you passed over one of the first big bridges, the bridges in Highland, in, in Glencoe, are the best on the North Shore over these ravines. They are, again part of that restoration of landscape of the landscape of the niagara escarpment there they're limestone from further up in wisconsin brought down and made into these bridges and there's at least three of these major bridges in glencoe that are the best that you can see that they have the most unity it's the only town to have a unified bridging pattern um, and, it's, and they're very good um as you go past park avenue you'll get to, you see a a frost, uh, I'm sorry, you see a shaw or so um, gatehouse on the right. But on the left, you'll see first a prairie-style Frank Lloyd Wright house from the early part of the 20th century. But then as you dip down past that toward another ravine, one of these great ravines, you see one of the really groundbreaking um, Frank Lloyd Wright houses. Frank Lloyd Wright pioneered, The idea of the borrowed landscape—a Japanese idea—where you build your house, where you get somebody else's property for free, and uh, (laughs) you look out over what their vista—and you get it. So he discovered, discovered really about 1907, 08, and he built the Glasser House, I believe, um, which is on the west side of the street, as that and on the south side of the bridge or the ravine. He built this house. It's built into the side of the ravine, and this is the first one of these houses in the Chicago area or around. He kind of pioneered that. Later, other people picked up on the idea, and there's a lot more houses like that. But this was the very first one. It was kind of a ranch-style house on the um, on the top on the on the tableland level, but then it sunk down below into the ravine and looked across this uh, ravine and probably had. In those days, it probably actually had a, a seasonal, as they say, lake view uh, after the leaves were off the trees. So that's all very cool. Um, as you go across that bridge, then there's a, a street that takes you over to Franklin Wright's Sylvan Drive development that he did about the same time. And that's kind of off our path, but a lot of people will follow that. And there's the It was the Vernon Booth development there. As you go north, on the right, finally, it gets to, begins to open up. And uh, there are two synagogue buildings and a great big parking lot on the right. This used to be in around 1910. This was the Charles Stonehill estate. Uh, he was one of the big founders of the Lakeshore Country Club, which is just to the north and across the street. But Charles Stonehill's nephew was a, an architect kid who was trying to get a start in Chicago. And he had a house built by David Adler, his nephew, um, that was uh, really made a big change in the style of Chicago. It was like a chateau from France, a Louis the style chateau, very accurately, very scholarly drawn. Um, it also had a very French landscape, where the central driveway was framed, um, and then out to the, then it had a great lake view. So this, this was making news around 1910. This was a big, a big deal and was published in an article in the, in the Architectural Review National Paper Journal. So it was torn down in, the, in the, probably about the 60s to make way for two buildings. One was I.M. Pei's um, beautiful synagogue building. And these are landmarks. They were considered landmarks in the 60s. They're still landmarks of modernism on the North Shore. Nothing else is like them on the North Shore. On their scale, and they're really worth seeing. The parking lot is not too elegant, but across, but it certainly is an unobstructed view to these buildings. If you go further north along there, you'll find the Lakeshore Country Club. This was in that period. David Adler had joined Howard Van Doren Shaw's team. I think it, uh, Howard Van Doren Shaw, who was uh, Presbyterian raised, you know, was kind of a Protestant wasp and everything wanted to get into um, probably the the, um, the this burgeoning market of wealthy Jewish people who were moving out of the North Shore. So he, with Adler, got the job for this big Lakeshore Country Club, which was being also promoted by Charles Stonehill. And they built this beautiful Shaw building that's still there on the lake. Um, it's a fantastic building. But even more important than Shaw's building is the spectacular golf course that's across Sheridan Road on the the west side of the street, it goes all the way to the railroad tracks. Um, There's nothing like it on the North Shore. It's the only club uh, that goes from the railroad tracks to the lake uh, for a golf club and country club. It's just outstanding. And the membership was Jewish. They were people who were members of the standard club, probably in the city, uh, but mostly they were all Jewish. And it's just, it is the best of the clubs, uh, right there on the lake. To get another club that's like that, going from Sheridan Road to the lake, you have to go way to the end of Lake Bluff to get to the Shore Acres Club. But this was earlier and much more impressive um, in the scale of its building and everything. Uh, This gets you to Highland Park. Uh, Highland Park, though, uh, initially did not cover... um, all of this terrain, it was kind of, there was sort of an unincorporated part south of, uh, Highland, of the town of Highland Park. Highland Park was founded in 1867 around the, where, Central Highland Park, the business district, which is further north. And down in this part, it was kind of an unincorporated kind of no man's land. Artists lived there. Uh, there were a lot of summer cottages of, of writers and artists. It was called Ravinia, partly recognizing this uh, North Shore characteristic, which was so remarkable. Ravinia had uh, artists like, it was namescaping right now, but there was a famous publisher and um, an artist uh, who worked there. There was the the editor of the Chicago Tribune who lived there and wrote novels. Uh, Lots of different people. a famous uh, nonconformist who camped out on the beach there until she was finally chased out. But there were lots of people who were part of that community that were part of the artistic community. And by 1904, there was an interurban line that was going through from parallel in the Chicago Northwestern tracks. It's now a bike path, but it was the um, North Shore line, And that company wanted to build, it was owned by the electric company and the electric company wanted more customers for that. They're using the train to use up the electricity and they wanted more customers. So they built a big amusement park called Ravinia Park. And that, uh, you come along that on Sheridan Road, you come up to it, It's you're really to the East Gate, which is the, now uh, for the Ravinia Festival, it's the um, high rollers, big supporters, patrons gate. Uh, you and I, um, we would be parking on the west side and schlepping to the gate that's on that side and into the park for our modestly-priced lawn seats. But the people who have the best seats in the in the uh, outdoor auditorium would be parking there. But the gate post that's there is very remarkable, along with the gates on the other side and the Murray Theater. Uh, they call it the Murray Theater, the Martin Theater now. These were built in 1904 by a fellow who'd started working with um, Daniel Burnham. And he was he was he did a lot of work. He was a um, very good architect. And he also built a station in Lake Forest later that's now torn down, but it was just south of the regular train station um, by Gorton Center. So his name was Peter Weber. And Peter Weber was excellent designer. And so you see some of the best preserved early 20th century German influenced modernism is right there in the, in, those, in the gates, the east and west gates of the Ravinia Festival and in the Murray Theater. These are, there's just no place else that you have any of that, right? that material still there. Other places it's been torn down or replaced, you know, but to visit it, not just for the music, but to visit it for the architecture and to see it is really worthwhile. Um, you got to study them. After you go past Ravinia, you go north, uh, you wind your way around, and you go down into a deep ravine. They don't have bridges there. they got a deep ravine. And you go down the ravine, and sure enough, there's a little park there that says it's the Rosewood Beach. Now, what is the Rosewood Beach? Today, it has a beautiful, modern, mesian Mesian Revival pavilion down there at the beach it's mostly open just to the Highland Parkers but you might be able to on an not on a, in, in season but out of season you might be able to sneak down there and take a look um, <clears throat> it's very nice beach with a, this great building but Rosewood refers to Rosenwald Julius Rosenwald who, who was the president of Sears Roebuck and Company who had really invented the Sears stores idea he then, became very wealthy he had a wonderful house in Kenwood section down there with a lawn yard done by Jens Jensen but he had Jens Jensen helping him probably on this big estate he had for him and his family kind of a compound in Highland Park and his own and another thing he did was he was a philanthropist he was the both responsible for the Museum of Science and Industry that building the Museum of Science and Industry building was left over from the 1893 World's Fair. It had the best foundation and the best walls because of the fire insurance needed for the fine art that was stored there. But it was still crumbling by oh, the 1920s, and Julius Rosenwald had it reclad, rebuilt to make it permanent, and turned it into the Museum of Science and Industry. It should be the Rosenwald Museum of Science and Industry, but he didn't put his name on it. The other thing he did that wasn't here so much, but he built like 2,000 or gave the materials for 2,000 African-American schools across the South after they had this separate but equal thing where they really didn't build any schools for the Black kids. He created all those schools, working with um, Booker T. Washington. They, bro- they gave the materials to these African-American communities, and then the people themselves built the schools. And some of them are still preserved across the South, many of them are probably not, but a lot of communities still um, recognize them as the beginnings of having really decent education for African-Americans in the South, major contribution to the culture. Uh, and this is all for Julius Rosenwald, who had this great estate there in South Island Park. Then Highland Park winds along, goes by another synagogue, modern synagogue. There used to be an estate there also, winds north, um, As it winds north, it comes to particularly the most important Frank Lloyd Wright house along Sheridan Road or along the North Shore, which is the Ward Willits House of about 1902. It was designed as, it's really the first prairie school house. Garage and staff lodge were somehow separated off and they're still there, but they're not part of the same property as the main house. But the main house is still there on Sheridan Road, you can't miss it. It's got a big lot, it's a big house, um, reflecting the horizontal Prairie School idea of porches and everything. It's like, it's it's in ahead of the Robie House, which is down in Hyde Park, um, but it's, it's a monument and it has lots of the early uh, Frank Lloyd Wright influences. that get copied all over uh, after World War II in the United States and all over the North Shore. A little farther up a block or so, on the other side of the street is a not so noticeable house, but it's a 1910 house by the architect uh, Safer, uh, Ralph Safer, who did a lot of building. And it's a very nice early colonial revival, but simple colonial revival. that's looking forward to the post-war, simpler, uh, classical ranch-style type houses that you saw. So those are a couple of neat architectural uh, features. You also see along there some great 1890s, 1880s, 1890s, um, gambrel roof houses, tower houses. Um, Now, at this point, we're going to leave Sheridan Road and take a cutoff to get around downtown Highland Park because Sheridan Road there goes through downtown Highland Park. We're going to go along Linden Avenue. Linden Avenue goes up and down. The, The original Highland Park was laid out after Lake Forest, and it had to avoid having to build a lot of expensive bridges over uh, the ravines, which were pretty steep there. It just ran streets down the middle of the tablelands between the ravines, and that was the main character of it. So as you go along Linden, you go down into a a big ravine, and then you come back out, and you um, go up, and you come to a large Church, a big Presbyterian church um, built by Frost and Granger. It's red brick. Inside, it also has some work by Talmadge, who is another important architect. And then you pass that, you go by the former Highland Park Historical Society, which is now vacant. The materials have all been pulled into the Highland Park Library, which is over closer to Sheridan. If you go north, there's also a Talmadge and Watson House um, on Linden. And then you turn left, go by the Elm Place School and they rejoin Sheridan Road. And Sheridan continues going along, and you go by a couple of George Washington Mayer houses uh, just before another big ravine. They're really nice. They're on the west side of the street. There's two of the two of the houses that are by George Washington Mayer. Then you go across the ravine, and then there's a big gray tower house, Queen Anne-style tower house by W.W. Um, Boynton. This is from the 1880s, but in 1868, Boynton had built the water tower down in Chicago at Chicago Avenue. A lot of people know that. It's kind of a landmark. One of the few things to survive the Chicago Fire. That's worth seeing. Across the street, there is now a doggy walking park. But the doggy walking park um, before 1970 or so was from 1899 to 1970 was the famous Moraine Hotel. It was a big hotel that um, faced the lake and probably had a beach down below but um, was a place where everybody was residential hotel summer hotel everybody came out there and it's only remembered in postcards and a few books there's not much coverage of it it's too bad but um, we missed it because it was before 1970 then you go north and then it turns it turns and wanders around but you go by another painted lady very bright couple of there are some good early houses that are still there. Then you go uh, again back north, up toward the the Highwood, getting close to Highwood and Fort Sheridan. Now, Fort Sheridan starts um, where this all ends. It was the, built on the former Port Clinton. It was kind of abandoned land. But after the Haymarket Riot in 1886, the Chicago Commercial Club gave this abandoned land to the To the military to put a fort there, so that they could quickly move troops into uh, Chicago if they were needed. And so we'll go on and talk about that the next time, and we'll cover that in more detail uh, along with Highwood, which kind of grew up together, both of them, uh, Fort Sheridan and Highwood. But they're important; they are very important to the stories of the communities north of them, Lake Forest and Lake Bluff, also. So. Uh, we'll, we'll get into Highland Park, and we'll go from Highland Park into uh, Fort Sheridan and Highwood, Lake Forest, Lake Bluff, and up to the Great Lakes in the next, uh, the third segment of this. But that's Sheridan Road. Sheridan Road was built as a military, after they created Fort Sheridan, as a military road to parallel the railroad tracks to get through the communities. But it also quickly became a very important pleasure drive and was the main road, for uh, people by the time in the 20s, they were, had what they called roadsters, and they were racing up and down Sheridan Road in their roadsters to get to the city and back out to the country. So, um, thank you very much. That's two of Sheridan Road.
1: All right, we're on the tour bus and we're just following your lead. This is awesome.
0: <laughs> okay, good, <laughs> super.
1: All right, thanks. thanks for making us all smarter on North Shore history. My pleasure. Thanks for listening to the North Shore podcast. Please give us five stars on Apple podcast and smash that like button on Facebook, Instagram, and follow us on Twitter. Let us know what you'd like to hear about on the upcoming shows. Again, I'm Pete's and can be reached at Pete at North Shore podcast.com. The link will be in the podcast notes below on behalf of my co-host, Arthur Miller. We thank you for listening. And our class is now over. Cue the band.